This is the first time. Chirp Radio's live storytelling and music series recorded at Martyrs in Chicago's North Center neighborhood. Here's your host, Jen Sodini. Up next, guys, speaking of Chirp and dedicated volunteers who work for free, Dan Epstein has been a tremendous person for the station. He has been our features producer for Chirp for some time. He's been the person who's helped us with the podcasts for this show in a really big way. You can see uh, many of our featured readers up on the podcast. I saw Lily B in the audience after I talked about her show. She is on our website. You should hear her amazing story on our website. Um, You can thank Dan for the interviews, the news, Sadly, Dan is moving to Oklahoma. He's still going to be a part of the radio station. He's going to be starring in a performance of Oklahoma. He's just a girl who can't say no. Give it up for Dan Epstein. Hello. Yes, moving to Oklahoma. Uh, all, I just want to say also that there are a ton of other people who are involved in making podcasts and interviews. So I just want to say a general shout out to all the awesome people who are in the features and production departments. I also want to say that on an advice of counsel, I will not be doing the story doing my impersonation of William S. Burroughs. I know, I know, but, you know, the law is the law. So, fun fact. At basic training, at U.S. Army basic training, there is no walking. There is only running. And some marching, of course. So when you're done with chow and you leave the mess hall, the only way to get back to the barracks is to run there. So I'm running on a full stomach of grits, eggs, potatoes, toast, juice, coffee, cereal, like everything that's on the chow line, when I got stopped by the drill sergeant. P.F.C. Epstein! Yes, Sergeant! I stopped and snapped to attention. P.F.C. Epstein, do you have a college degree? Um, so you know how in, in stressful situations, uh, you, you know, in internal time sort of like slows down and a million things are going through your head? Well, that is what was happening. Uh, you know, I'd only been in the Army for three days. And everything was new, the people, the food, the clothes. I didn't have my beard or mustache anymore. And it was really stressful. Uh, So why did my drill sergeant want to suddenly stop me and ask me about my level of education? I have no idea. I was totally unprepared. Uh, But in less than a second of real time, I replied, yes, sergeant! From now on, you're first squad leader, my drill sergeant shot back. Like I said... I'd only been in the Army for three days, so I hadn't really kicked the habit of discussing things with people first before you do them. So I started to say, well, what about private? He's fired! You're first squad leader now. Dismissed! Yes, Sergeant! I said and ran back to the barracks. Well, uh, suddenly I was in middle management. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm suddenly like one of four squad leaders on my platoon. And I didn't really get why my college education uh, would be a criteria to get this job, especially since it hadn't gotten me the job in the first place. 
uh, and nothing in my education prepared me to lead and be responsible for people who were just as new to this whole thing as I was. Well, people make a lot of assumptions about what a college education will do, I suppose. Uh, but what my degree had gotten me uh, is my rank, private first class. Now, privates are the lowest ranking people in the army. But of the three ga grades of private, PFC is the highest. Woo! <laughs> well, the other three squad leaders had all been in the army before, uh, but they'd been out long enough that they needed to come back and do basic again. Now, it's October 1981, and we are 10 months into the Reagan administration. Ah. Uh, yeah, and in large measure, uh, I think that fact helps uh, explain why all four of us were in the Army in the first place. So for them, um, it may have been that the tough economic situation that had set in had left them few options as civilians, so they came back to the Army. Uh, as for me, uh, joining the military was the only way to get the minimum required years of experience to even be considered for an entry-level job in my intended career path intelligence, and national security. And rather than go for the money and become a commissioned officer, I went for a guaranteed job in intelligence by enlisting instead. And that job was interrogator. So back to our story, our squad leaders. We had Cuevas. He had fourth squad. He was the oldest of us. He was about 35, I think. Uh, then there was Seawright leading third squad. It was about a year or two younger. Uh, and Jenkins was the head of second squad, and he was in his early 30s. Now, I was 22, and much, much shorter than all of them. So, you know, if you had posed us like the poster from the movie Electroglide in Blue, I'm Robert Blake. <laughs> Eric, that was for you. So, Jenkins, the second squad leader, was this black guy from Detroit, and he did not like sharing squad leaderdom with a short, Jewish college-educated white kid. Uh, and he spent a lot of time giving me mountains of shit and threatening me all the time in front of the rest of the platoon. Now, maybe he resented me because, unlike him, I got the squad leader job with no prior experience. But I, I really don't know for sure. And mostly, I just tried to stay out of his way. I'm not a big guy, as you can see. Uh, and I didn't know how to defend myself in a fight, and Jenkins surely could kick my ass. Okay, so we're about a month or so in, and the drill sergeant assigns me to march the platoon to Linen Exchange. This is a weekly early morning march to a shed where we all get new sheets. So uh, this cold and kind of rainy November morning at 5, I march the platoon to Linen Exchange, and we get there, and there are two platoons ahead of us. A few minutes pass, and then Jenkins commences with the threats and the shit-talking. Now, this is the first time I led the platoon on my own. Uh, neither of the drill sergeants is there. It's just us trainees. Uh, I know it'll be a little while before it's our turn to get our sheets, and so I'm wondering how long you know, uh, Jenkins is going to go on with all this. And I'm starting to worry, like, uh, you know, how is this looking for me up there all by myself, letting Jenkins spout off? Now, sometimes you make decisions consciously, and sometimes you don't. You just find yourself doing something, and suddenly I was moving towards Jenkins. I get within a few inches of him, and I look up at him. Remember, he's got like eight inches on me, and I'm off. Fine, fine. You think you could kick my ass? Well, just go ahead already. 
I'm sick of your shit. I'm sick of hearing how tough you are and how little, what of a little shit I am and how you're going to beat the crap out of me. It's time. It's just us. The drill sergeants are here. Everybody's here. Just go ahead and show everybody how tough you are. Ready for Christ's sake. And I was ready, ready to get fucked up. And nothing happened. And I remained unfucked up and untouched in any way. And Jenkins said nothing. Fine! I said finally. I went back to my place at the head of the platoon. A few minutes later, we got our sheets and I marched everybody back to the barracks. Now Jenkins didn't bother me after that or talk to me at all, but I spent a lot of time looking over my shoulder Okay, now it's December, and a dozen of us or so, we get called to the company commander's office, including me and Jenkins. The Army's made a mistake, the captain said. Well, that seemed like a really weird thing to say to a bunch of trainees. Uh, now, now, bear with me on this little explanation. So October is the first month of the uh, uh, government's fiscal year, and in 1981, uh, the Army implemented a change that extended basic training from eight weeks to 12. But the captain said they didn't adjust the schedules of all the schools we'd be going to after basic training, the ones where you learn your actual job in the Army. So that meant if we'd stayed at basic the full 12 weeks, we'd miss these schools, and that would be a breach of contract on the Army's part. So you all have a choice, the captain says. You can get out of the Army now, or you can complete basic training in the next two weeks on an accelerated program. Well, what was left was all the combat skills. Squad infantry tactics, foxhole digging, live fire exercises, obstacle courses, sea rations, due in two weeks what's supposed to take four. Now, I got to admit, for a second, I really did consider getting out, and I think everybody in the room did. But we all looked at each other, and no one wanted out. Outstanding, the captain said. You'll be grouped in two squads. Epstein and Jenkins are your squad leaders. They'll be fully responsible for all of you dismissed. Well, to the weird excitement I think we were all feeling was added a palpable sense of dread. How are two guys who were such loggerheads with each other going to uh, uh, lead everybody through what was going to surely be the toughest two weeks any of us had ever spent. Well, the next day, two of my troops nabbed me. They say, hey, uh, we need to talk. Let's go to the bleachers at the barracks. So we get there, and Jenkins is there with a couple of guys from his squad. Well, one of the troops turns to both of us and says, get it the fuck worked out. <laughs> So apparently, our troops had gotten together and realized it was in their best interest for me and Jenkins to bury the hatchet. True enough, and I'd wish I'd thought of that. Well, neither of us said anything at first. We just sort of looked at each other. I don't remember who started talking first or, or exactly what we said. I don't know. But we started just talking to each other. I told him how I'd gotten the squad leader job just to make sure he didn't think you know, that I'd screwed the guy ahead of me or anything like that. And until then, I'd never asked him what he was going to be doing in the Army. Tank mechanic, he said. You? Interrogator, I said. 
Then we got on to how important it uh, was to make sure all of our troops got through these two weeks if for no other reason than command would skewer us if we blew it. And after a while, our troops came back and we all talked about how the next two weeks were gonna go. And Jenkins and I shook hands. Now these two weeks were really, really intense, up at 4 a.m., back in the rack at midnight nearly every day. And at the end of the final test, we were soaked from the rain, cold, covered in mud, sore, exhausted, banged up, and ecstatic that we had all passed. We were high-fiving each other and screaming and jumping up and down and patting each other on the back, and Jenkins and I shook hands. A couple of days later, we're clean in our Class A uniforms, heading out on leave for Christmas for, uh, before our advanced training. And Jenkins and I did not become fast friends or anything like that. But we had figured out how to be civil, how to work together to be responsible for other people, and how to really, really work together. I had that experience with a lot of people in the Army, and like with them, I, I never saw Jenkins again. Thank you. Listening to a Chirp Radio podcast of our live storytelling and music series, The First Time. 
Our storyteller was Dan Epstein, and the first time four performed Oh Lucky Man by Alan Price. The first time four is Steve Frisbee, Liam Davis, Gerald Dowd, and Scott Stevenson. To hear more first-time pieces, check out the series' website, firsttime.chirpradio.org. And you can find other podcasts produced by the station at chirpradio.org slash podcasts. Chirp Radio, hear what's next.